So happy Mother's Day to everyone out there who is a mother or mother figure. I've been prepping for this sermon for what, three weeks now, Josh? About three weeks, give or take. Um, and I hope that you guys are blessed by this. We're going to be talking about a, a woman we don't really hear that much from in Scripture, but she deserves every accolade that every other mother has. Um, but I'm going to read starting out, which really doesn't have anything to do with our sermon this morning. But, oh, sorry. If you have children that would benefit from being in children's church, Amanda, I told you I would forget. I got up, before we got up, I got up here, I said, Amanda, I need to write it down so I don't forget. And she said, you'll remember, I'll be back there waving at you. Sure enough, I look up and she's jumping up and down. <laughs> yeah, if you, if you have kids, and if they don't want to go back there, it's fine. They can stay in here with us. We'd love to have them. No big deal. I want to start out this morning with, uh, with some scripture that has nothing really to do with what we'll be going over today, and then I'm going to open us up in prayer, and then we'll get into it. So in Proverbs chapter 31, I'm going to read verses 26 through 30, and then I'm going to open us up in prayer. It says, Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. That's different. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Y'all pray with me. Dear Lord, today, as we acknowledge the importance of, of motherhood, we first want to thank you for your grace. Lord, your love and your mercy. Lord, we, we want to thank you for, for the mothers and those who are mother figures also that have placed that you have placed in, in our lives. Lord, we ask that you, would, that you would give them strength in their daily task. And Lord, I pray that you would grant them wisdom as they teach, as they train, and as they disciple those in their care and in their circle of influence. And Lord, we thank you for all the mother figures like grandparents, aunts, sisters, wives, stepmothers, foster mothers, and all the loved ones who, we, who truly embody what it means to be a godly mother, to embody who we just read about in the book of Proverbs, the woman who fears you. Lord, we, we lift these mothers up to you. Please guide them and protect them. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so we're going to take a break, obviously, from our series in Revelations to observe and recognize Mother's Day. Um, and if you and if you want to, you can go on our you can go on Facebook and you can see sermons that you've missed, or you can go to our website and it's fbctoqueen.com, and there you can see all the sermons past. You can see any sermon on any Sunday that we've done. Uh, also, you can tithe on our website. You can uh, prayer request, and you can also put on there any decisions that you've made. So that's our website. That's fbctoqueen.com. Um, uh, so a as we open up this morning in our, in our sermon on Mother's Day, there's a handful of women that come to my mind. And first, the first I'm talking about women that come to mind is my, my wife. And she's not here right now. She's in children's church. And that's very, it mirrors our marriage. 
she's always taking care of our children. When I'm out doing things, she's the one that takes care of them. When I have things to do, she's the one that takes it up. And I know a lot of mothers in here know that, what that's like. They know that love. And honestly, without her, 75% of the things around the house either wouldn't get done or I wouldn't know how to do it. That's, that's not a joke. It's the truth. And I don't know what I would do without Amanda in my life to be able to take care of the kids. And I, I thank God for her. I also have grandmothers that's passed away that I think about. All their guidance and devotion that they've given me throughout the years made me into the, the man I am today. And also, what kind of son would I be if I didn't mention my mother? You know, the things that she's helped me through is almost equal to the things that I put that woman through. I put her through so many things. But thank God for mothers who truly love their children. Thank God for them. And I can truly say that I'm one of the blessed few that doesn't deserve the mother that I have. I don't deserve it. All I have to do to see God's blessing in my life is look at my parents. That's how I know God. I can see God's blessing in my life. And I pray that for each and every one of you. I pray that for your kids. And I pray that your children will be that as well for their children. Generational. You know, fathers, they're the head of the home. They're the leader in the home. I truly believe that mothers are the heartbeat of the home. They're the heartbeat of the home. Because I can be too hard sometimes on them. And she knows when to rein me back. She knows she brings that love and attention that sometimes I can't give. Because I'm more by the numbers, very systematic in the way I do things. But she always, and my, my mom was the same way. My mother was the same way. Now, I'm going to tell you guys a story real, really quick about when I was, I was either 10, 11, or 12 years old. I can't remember. They might be able to tell you better. And my brother's two years younger than I am. And when, we, when I grew up, I grew up on a dirt road, still live on a dirt road, and it, we have a gravel driveway, and at the house we were in, there was a circle driveway, and at the bottom of the hill, me and my brother were playing. And I don't know what I did to make him mad. I honestly can't remember, but I remember what happened after I made him mad. He pulled a cane and Abel on me. He went to pick up a rock. And I, and I seen him lean down to get it. And as soon as I seen him lean down, I turned, and I was about to book it. And the second I turned, I looked back, and I could see that thing coming out of his hand, hit me in the back of the head, down I went, and my head got really tight, super tight. <clears throat> and if I'd have been in the right state of mind, I'd chased after him, but I couldn't, because it, it, it knocked me pretty good. And uh, anyways, I get up, and I finally get to myself, and I got blood on my hands. I thought, oh, no. And I'd never been, had any near-death experience, so I thought I was dying. I literally thought I was dying. So I knew mom was burning, uh, I knew mom, she was burning leaves around the back of the house. So I go up the hill, I'm going up there as fast as I can go, and I get up, and I make it around the corner, and you remember this. I, I walked around, I said, oh, mom, I'm so sorry, mom, I'm so sorry. I thought I was dying, I was apologizing for everything I'd ever done. And I turn around the corner, and I'm saying all this, and my blood's coming off the back of my arm, and I'm holding the back of my head, and she gets very panicked and startled. She runs over there, starts running through my hair, looking at everything, and it was a little... It was just deep enough to make what it was causing, but it wasn't serious. And she knew it wasn't that bad, so she calmed me down. She's like, you're going to be fine, son. It's okay. It's just a little cut that's bleeding a lot. You're fine. Like, she just put an end to it. She didn't, wasn't really sympathetic in the moment. She just wanted me to calm down. So she laid down the hammer. It's okay. You're fine. 
And if it had been anybody else other than my dad, I might not have believed him. Definitely wouldn't have believed my brother at that moment because he would have been looking out for his best, what was in his best interest because he wouldn't want to be in trouble. My parents, however, they always put me and my brother in their best, in our, they always had our best interests at heart. They always put us at number one. They would put themselves in front of anything in a moving train if it was going to save our lives. They would give us anything to benefit us. They always put themselves last. And it's that love that mothers have, the kind of love that will cause them to go through pain, that will cause them to go through worry, it will cause them to go, to go through anxiety, because of that love. And sometimes that's the pain of letting go. Some of you mothers that have graduated and graduates, letting go. It's the pain of letting go. Or it could be the worry of what the world is going to influence on them once they're out of your sight, out of your care, when they're away from you. Or it could just be the anxiety of the unknown. Well, today, we're going to be looking at someone in Scripture that experienced all of those things and then some. We're going to be looking at a woman from the family of Levi who had a son named Moses. Everybody knows who Moses is. Without saying the name, how many know who her mother's name is? One. Her name is Jochebed. That's Moses' mother. She was instrumental in the early stages of his life. So if you guys would, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to begin right there. And if you don't have a Bible, please take the Bible and the pew rack home with you. That's yours. That's our gift to you. And in those Bibles in the pew rack, it'll be on page 45 is where you'll find it. Excuse me. Now in chapters, mainly in chapter 2, when we're going to talk about Jochebed, in chapter 2, it never mentions her name. We never, we never see her name. We only see her mentioned as Levite woman, the woman, or the mother's child. So we don't really know her name. However, we do know what her actual name is because later in the book of Exodus, in chapter 6, verse 20, is a first mention of her name. And in chapter 6, verse 20, it says, and I, by the way, I will be kind of skipping around a little bit, like confirming things like what her name was. If you guys would, you can stay in chapters 1 and 2 because that's going to be the main part of our text today. But if you want, you can try and flip there really quick, but I already have it marked, so I'm going to go ahead and go through that so it, time for time constraints. But uh, yeah, I will be jumping around, this verse being one of them. But we, our main text will be in Exodus chapters 1 and 2. So in chapter 6, verse 20, we see the first time that her name is mentioned. And it says, Amram took as his wife Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the year of the life of Amram being 137 years. And also in the book of Numbers, chapter 26, verse 59, it says, The name of Amram's wife was Jochebed, the daughter of Levi, who was born to Levi in Egypt. And she bore to Amram Aaron and Moses and Miriam, their sister. So she had three children. She had Miriam, who was the oldest sister. She was seven years older than Moses. Then you have Aaron, who was three years older than Moses. And then you have Moses, the baby. So Jochebed, she was the mother of Moses. And these are three very important figures in the Bible. Because you have Moses, everyone knows his importance in the Bible, about leading the Hebrew people from Egypt to Canaan. A man who spoke to God face to face, or as one would speak to a friend. That's pretty significant. And she was also the mother to Aaron, a man who became the first high priest. 
a man who helped lead the Hebrew people during the exodus from Egypt and during their time of roaming in the wilderness. And also, he was the man, uh, his descendant served as the high priest. So he was a very instrumental figure once they got into the wilderness, once they'd gotten into the exodus. And, there was a, uh, and she was also the mother of Miriam. Now, she's the unnamed daughter or sister of Moses, daughter of Jochebed, in chapter 2. She's the unnamed daughter. And she's also the one that washed over his basket while it floated down the Nile River. We know that her name is Miriam, and we see it first in Exodus chapter 15, and I'm going to read it, verses 19 through 21. Verses 19 through 21. It would be better if I was right. All right, here we go. For when the horses of Pharaoh, with, with his chariots and his horsemen, went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the, pe- but the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out, with, went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So we see Miriam and Jochebed being the mother to three amazing, amazing children. And God would use them to give birth to a nation. He would definitely help them in that nation. It's amazing to see what God can do when a woman is faithful and is obedient to God. It's amazing to watch a faithful woman. Now let's take a look at the mother who put her faith into action. And to get a better understanding of Jochebed's situation, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 6. And I'm going to read 6 and 7 to get a better situation. We're going to do a little bit of a backstory. We're going to lead up until the point where Moses is born. It's going to, so this is what, uh, we're going to start in uh, verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 7, starting in chapter 1. Then Moses died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. So who was Joseph? Most of you guys know who Joseph was. He was the 11th son out of 12 brothers. And he was the favorite one for a couple of reasons. First, he was uh, his father's firstborn from his wife, Rachel, who happened to be his first love, who he really and truly loved was Rachel. So he, he took, and he was also born of his old age, and it says that's why he favored him. And we see that in Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 and 4, and I'll read that very quickly. It says, Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Josh more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And to make things even harder on himself, he would go on to tell them about dreams he'd had and visions of being the ruler of, over the family, over his family, entire family. So all you brothers, by the way, I'm one of the smaller brothers. I'm going to rule over each and every one of you. You think they like that? Of course not. My brother's only two years older than me. If he said that, I don't know, I don't know how that would sit, especially if they're age, being young and everything like that. Um, but all the jealousy, it finally hit the tipping point. And the brothers, they plotted to kill him, but they sold him into slavery instead. And, they would lead, and that would lead to uh, Joseph's visions coming true about ruling over his family. Now, he interprets Pharaoh's dream. I'm going to fast forward. I'm not going to hit a whole lot on it. I'm just going to briefly go over Joseph's life. He interprets one of Pharaoh's dreams, the Egyptian... <clears throat> and is promoted to one of the highest positions in Egyptian government. Long story short, uh, we find out that Joseph isn't dead, but one of the top men of Egypt. And they, the brothers, they reunite with Joseph. 
They reunite with him. And then Joseph, he lives the ripe old age of 110 years old before he dies. And we see this in Genesis chapter 50, verse 26. It says, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him and he was put into a in a coffin in Egypt. So here we see a good relationship between the people of Israel and Egypt. We see a good relationship. He's, Joseph is buried in Egypt. So there's good relations. But that's inevitably going to change. That's going to change. And we're going to see that change starting in uh, chapter 1 of Exodus, verse 8. And I'm going to read 8 through 10. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies. So after Joseph had died and the Pharaoh was in charge during Joseph's life, a new Pharaoh took charge after Joseph died. And this new Pharaoh, he doesn't know about Joseph. He'd, he'd never heard of it. He didn't know about the peace that had been between them. In the following verses, it shows us that the new Pharaoh is not only clueless to the history of Joseph, but he views the, the nation of Israel as a threat. So he not only is, doesn't understand what had happened in the past, but he views Israel as a threat because the people of Israel are too many and too mighty. The people of Israel had Pharaoh so worried that he began afflicting them with heavy burdens. Let's read that in verses 11 and 14. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for, for Pharaoh store cities, pit them in ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their slaves or made their lives bitter and hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all the work, in all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And what stuck out to me as I was reading this when I first started says the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. They were in dread of them. That means there's a lot, a lot of Israelites if the Egyptians are dreading or are in dread of them. So they ruthlessly, they, they made the people work as slaves. Now I believe that Pharaoh, he, he had the idea, if I can work them in the ground, if I can work them hard enough, just back-breaking labor 24-7, I can break their will, break their spirits, and break them down physically. So this way, they'll be too tired to rise up against us. And if I make them tired enough, and ultimately break them down in numbers, because if I can wear them out, they're not going to go home and have families because they're going to be too tired to do so. So let's break their spirits. Let's break them physically. Let's break them down and heavy, put heavy, heavy burdens on them. Um, but that, that's, <laughs> that's not what God had in mind. That is not what God had in mind. Uh, in, in God's covenant with Abraham, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and all your families of the earth shall be blessed. And that's in Genesis uh, chapter 12, verse 3, I believe. God will never go back on his word. God never goes back on his word. If he makes a promise, he will keep it. And he keeps it with the Israelites when they're in Egypt. It might not have been in their timing or when it wanted for it to happen, but it came true and it happened in God's timing. God will never go back on his word. And after Pharaoh's tactics to oppress the strength of the people of Israel, he resorts to a tactic that should not only upset you, as Christians, it should disgust you, it should horrify you, and it should absolutely appall you. It should, it should definitely upset you. Pharaoh commands the Hebrew midwives to kill the baby boys. She, he commands the midwives on the birth stool to kill the baby boys. Let's, uh, let's read verses 15 and 16, and I'll talk about that. 
Then the king of Egypt said to the Pharaoh midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. This reminds me of Herod and his plot to kill Jesus as he, when he was a baby, when Jesus was a baby. And it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all the region, in all that region who were two years or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So both Herod and Pharaoh, they had zero, zero respect for life. They had zero value for the sanctity of life. Jerry, what are you doing? Is that tongue-in-cheek? That's not tongue-in-cheek. I'll tell you right now, children are a blessing. They're not, a, they're not something to be cast aside. They're not a curse. They're not something that should bother you. And I'm saying that to kill a newborn baby child, born or unborn, it is a sin. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what the people of the world say, how they make you feel, how they put you down. It is a sin, and we should fear God because of it. We should fear God when people are going around in it, killing innocent lives. It's happening in Scripture, and he doesn't like it. He doesn't take it very lightly. And he's not going to take it very lightly here either with it happening. I've heard of so many things, so many stories. I've watched so much stuff, and our nation as a whole has got to come to its knees and, for, and ask for forgiveness. And, and, and as adults, we're supposed to protect these innocent lives. They can't protect themselves. It's just like Moses when he was born. He didn't have nobody to protect him. He was at the mercy of those around him. So are those babies that are, haven't been born yet. They're at the mercy. Even if the mother wants them dead, they are at the mercy of that mother. We're at that doctor. They are alive. They are a living being. They are a child of God. And they, they need us to protect them. We should always protect the innocent, no matter the cost. Don't fear what people say. Don't fear what they think. Fear God instead. Fear God. Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew chapter 28... And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So don't fear what anyone else thinks. Fear God. Our world, would it not look much, much different today if everyone feared God? If everyone walked around with a healthy fear of God? It would look much different today. Much like the fear that the midwives had that we're going to read about here and uh, in verses 17, we're going to read, we're going to finish out this chapter, verse 17 through 20, and we're going to see about the fear that they had for the Lord, the Lord. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And Pharaoh blesses them for, or not Pharaoh, God blesses them for it. So let's read uh, 17 through 22. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Because the midwives feared God, he blessed them with families. They honored God. God honored them by blessing them with a family of their own. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, 
but you shall cast an eye, but you shall let every daughter live. That's horrific. Midwives, you didn't do your job. They right there on the burst door, you couldn't get there in time. That's okay, I got a better idea. If you're a citizen of Egypt, anybody from Egypt, any Egyptian, if you see a baby boy born, the moment he's born, or if you even see a baby boy, get him, take him to the Nile River and throw him in it. That's what he, that's, and that's a royal command. Like if you're an Egyptian citizen, you are expected to get those baby boys and throw them in the river. Tell me that isn't terrifying. And I was there. I was there for the birth of Sawyer. I was there for the birth of my son. I was in the room. And I know the anxiety that comes through a, a, a pregnancy of worry and all the time. Are they going to be healthy? Are they going to have other limbs? Are they going to be this? Are they going to be that? And you worry and you worry for nine months, just this painstaking worry. And then the moment comes, and they're about to give birth. And I don't know if I can make it out of the little room I was in before to make it to the big room where it's about to happen, because I just, I seriously didn't know if I was going to make it. It was, it was rough. I was more nervous then than I am now. And I finally make it in there. Amanda's ready. And then he's born. And the doctor puts him on the table, nurse, and cleans him up. And I walk over there. I'm the first one to actually pick him up and hold him after they clean him up. And that's before we take him out to everybody else to see the, see the newborn baby boy. And then the thought as I was reading this, this hits me. What if the moment he was born, from the time he was born to that table, a bunch of people, citizens of the place I was from, came in and grabbed him, grabbed him by his ankle, picked him up, started taking out, and I'm powerless to do anything against it as his father. I can fight, I can scream, I can cry, but there's nothing I can do to bring him back to that room where I'm at. And they all take off to the river, and they're going to throw him in it. On that day, I would either die with him in that river, or we'd both be surviving in that river because I'd get him. One of the two is going to happen. It's a terrifying thought that that's what the, they did to these Hebrew baby boys. But that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened. In the beginning of Exodus, it not only shows us to value innocent lives, but it also shows us the value of marriage. Whoa, how'd you make that transition? You'll see. Make the value, during, think about it, during this time, there's so much oppression. There's so much just keeping people down, oppressing them, afflicting them. At a time when it, have, would, it, it would have been easier as a Hebrew couple to say, let's not get married just yet and have children. Let's wait. Or better, let's just, let's just mess around. We'll just mess around and, and we'll get married later. We'll pretend to be a family. Or we're engaged. It's all the same. We're pretty much married. We're in love. Everybody else knows we're in love. We're pretty much married. No, you're not. You're not married to you say I do. You're not married to you say I do. And it makes me think of the establishment of marriage, which, by the way, is between a, woman, a man and a woman. The establishment of marriage is between a man and a woman, not a man and a man, or a woman and a woman, is between a man and a woman. That is God's design, and anything outside of God's design is in opposition to him. It is in opposition to him. That's not a rub. That's not me being hateful or, or dramatic. That's just a big thing in our world today that needs to be addressed, and it's something that we should stand up for as Christians. And we're just, well, that, that, that issue's done gone and passed now, Jared. It's already over. Is it? Who said so? Did God say it's over? It's fine. That issue's over with, guys. They won that one. Let's move on to the next. You think God, you think God that's his opinion? 
I don't think so. I think we're supposed to fight for everything that's right. Now, out of all that, this wasn't the case for Amram and Jochebed, who did exactly what God called them to do. In a time when it was very difficult to have children, they not only got married during this time of all the slaughter of all these baby boys, but they decided to have another child. They decided to have another child in the midst of all this, of all this chaos and all this, all this slaughter of all the baby boys going on, all the affliction, all the oppression. Let's get married and have another child during the middle of it, knowing what could happen. Well, what if it's a girl? We'll be okay. But if it's a boy, what are we going to do? We'll trust God. We'll just trust God. That shows me that they had true faith in God. They lived as they should, and God would bless them for it. In Hebrews chapter 11, before I read that, I was talking with another pastor earlier in the week, and we were talking about having children during bad times. And some people say, Jared, why would I want to raise a child in this world? It's better not to have kids than to raise them in this. And what I would say to them is, that's why we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply so that we have spiritual warriors so when I'm old, dead, and gone, that my children can carry it on and carry the torch and spread God's word because it's up to them to spread the gospel. It's their generation that's going to be doing it. And if, we don't, if we're not fruitful and multiply and fill it up, then it's just going to be left over for all, those, all the wicked and the evil. There's nothing to... There'll just be a generation. And I know God, he'll work through anything. But why would you want to put that on the next few generations to have to battle with a few Christians when we could say, you know what, I'm going to obey God, I'm going to have faith in God, and I'm going to have a family of my own, and we're going to go to battle, we're going to go to war. I'm going to do what God tells me to do. I'm going to fear God. I'm not going to worry about the world. So in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 25, it says, by faith... By faith. Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. They were not afraid. I'll say it again. They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. For you mothers out there in today's world... I'm telling you right now, it's better to be mistreated as Christians raising godly children and have people laugh at you, mock you, make fun of you, and tell you that you're a bigot and everything else. It's better to do what God tells you to do and be mistreated as a Christian than it is to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin than to give in to the enemy and let him just take complete control of your life and wreck it in the process and destroy your family. Because everyone knows that Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And that's exactly what he's going to do if you ever give him half a foothold. Now let's read about the birth of Moses, starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. Now a man, that's Amram, from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, who we now know as Jochebed. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. So from the moment that Moses was born, the moment he was born, he was under a royal death sentence. He had no choice in the matter. He had a nation full of Egyptians that were ready to kill him, to throw him in the river as an infant. And he was a foreigner in this land. He had no one to protect him. And you know, they, they, every Egyptian, they had all the authority to do so. 
But despite all of this overwhelming opposition, Moses has one thing going for him. He has one special advantage. Moses was the son of a mother who feared God more than Pharaoh's decrees and all the Egyptians. And Moses had a mother who had true faith in the Lord that truly feared God and did not fear Pharaoh. Now let's read verses 3 and 4. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. When she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. You talk about the fear of letting go. The Nile River, I don't know how many people have seen that on Discovery Channel. I've seen it. There's certain parts of it I just wouldn't want to put a baby child in in a basket and let them go and say, Jesus, take the wheel. He's all yours. That would be hard. That would be going against a lot of parental instinct right there. That would be extremely difficult. And some of you mothers have graduating seniors. You might be able to relate to this, this pain of letting go, this fear of letting go, this anxiety of letting go, going into this unknown world. Who's going to be influencing them? What's going to be around them? But you must have faith that the Lord will take care of them. You must have faith that the Lord will take care of them, just as Jochebed had the faith that the Lord would take care of Moses. And I'm sure it went against every parental instinct in her being. However, she trusted God to take care of Moses. So down the Nile River he went. Let's read verses 5 through 9. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket was among, she saw the, basket was among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go? When it's saying, Then his sister, his being Moses, sister being Miriam. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And the Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went to call the child's mother. So the girl, so Miriam, went to call the child's mother, the child's mother being Jochebed. So Miriam went and called Moses' mother. That's how you can read that. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So not only does Jochebed get her son back, but Pharaoh's daughter is going to pay her to keep him. So the woman took the child and nursed him. I mean, that's not... Tell me that's not awesome. You guys, but there's one thing that I did notice in that is the tears of a child. It broke down a, a, a woman to where she had pity on him and wanted to care for him and that loving, motherly nature that she had. Moses was very blessed, very blessed to have all those figures around him like Miriam or his mother Jochebed or the, 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 mid, the, the, the midwives being there all the way down to Pharaoh's daughter the man that's having all this done, all the slaughter, all the oppression, his daughter had pity on him. You know, God, he uses some of the smallest things in Scripture to bring down the biggest things. You guys can probably think of about five of them off the top of your head. The one that sticks out to me is Jesus Christ. Well, he wasn't little, but he was born as a baby. And look what he went on to conquer. And now all we have to do is believe in him and what he's done for us to have eternal life. I love how God rewards Jochebed. I love how he rewards her faith. To me, that's just awesome. When one moment she's saying her final goodbyes, 
She's worried. She's terrified of what's going to happen, the unknown. And the next, she's getting paid to nurse her own child. That right there is awesome. We need to have faith. We need to never question God's plan for us. I'm sure she was questioning God's plan for her life and Moses' life. Next thing you know, she's nursing her own son and getting paid for it by Pharaoh's daughter. Like I said, one thing that, that stands out to me again in the stages leading up to the man who would deliver the people of Israel out of Egypt, God used the midwives, his mother Jochebed, his sister Miriam, and Pharaoh's daughter to make way and care for Moses. So Moses, he had his actual mother, and he had all these other women placed around him in the most critical stages of his life, a stage where he was the most vulnerable, the most vulnerable when he was a baby. God placed faithful and loving women around him. So let's finish. Let's, let's come to a close. We're going to finish in verse 10. And in verse 10, it says, When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So instead of being executed by the Egyptians as a baby boy, Moses, he was being raised by royalty. And that's only the beginning to what God would do with Moses. The man who spoke, who God spoke to through a burning bush, who parted the Red Sea, who led Israel out into the wilderness, out of Egypt, all that, all those powerful things and, and, and delivering uh, the, the, the Israelites from the powerful nation of Egypt by God's hand is the man who began his life with God's, one of God's greatest gifts. He started his life with one of God's greatest gifts that we could ever have, ever pray for, ever hope for. And that's the gift of a God-fearing, faithful mother. Amen? All right, so if there's one thing that I know, that if I know, I know, I know about a God-fearing woman, is that they want their children to be at peace. They want them to be happy. They want them to live a fulfilled life. There's only one true way that you can actually have that, and that's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if she's a God-fearing mother, she's praying for you that, for that very thing day and night, that you will be at peace, that they will have joy, that they will have life and have it abundantly, as Jesus says. She prays that, and the only way that they can have it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. They don't want to see their children angry. They don't want to see them addicted to something. They don't want to see them stressed out and depressed. They want to see them happy. They want to see them loving life. That's the one thing that they can't do for them. For if, if you're one of those people where your mother is a God-fearing woman and you know without the shadow of a doubt you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, that's why you're addicted to something that's taking you down. That's why you're so stressed and depressed. I'm not saying Christians don't have their battles too, but we have Jesus Christ walking with us. We can't, they can't make you follow Christ. Do you want that joy? Are you tired of investing in something that's killing you spiritually, physically, financially, emotionally? It killing, it's killing you. And you don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is waiting for you. All you have to do is lay all that stuff, all that junk that you're hanging on to, that you're clinging on to, all you have to do is lay it at his feet, ask for forgiveness, surrender your life to him, and watch what happens. Watch what happens when you truly give your life to Jesus Christ. He died for you to pay for all your sins, so let it go. He's here. He's waiting. He's the answer. He's everything that you've been looking for. Will you do that this morning? Experience the true joy of freedom, the true joy of freedom. Will you give your life to Christ?